Welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to brave the cold and the snowflakes to come out and worship with us in person today. And for all of you watching online on YouTube or Facebook, thank you. I'm glad you're worshiping with us today. The Lord has a lot of good things for us. The Lord has done so many good things for us. It's very important that we remember. It's very important that we give our attention to what he's done and what he's calling us to do. And sometimes when we think about the Lord, we think about him with very well-intentioned approaches, but sometimes our approach just isn't right. Many Christians, motivated by pure intentions, think about their relationship with God in a misguided way. Have you ever heard this one? Put God first and everything else will fall into place. As if putting God at the top of our priority list is all we need to do with God. This mindset seems beneficial because God should have primacy in everything, but this mindset actually results in the tendency to compartmentalize God. God gets his time, God gets his money, and then we get to do what we want with the rest of our lives. This mindset can be destructive because if you think about your life in terms of a priority list and you say God is number one, what you could have the tendency to possibly do is say, check, I've done my God time, so now I don't need to. I've done my Sunday morning time, so now I can go watch the game. Check, I've done my Sunday morning time, now I can go do whatever I want. Oh, I gave a little bit of money to God. Check, now I can do what I want with my money because it's my money. And sometimes we think about God in terms of being at the top of our priority list, but we have to be very careful when we do this because our world has an epidemic. And it's not just a virus. There's an epidemic of self in this world. We're self-obsessed. We're self-centered. We're self-oriented. We live in a self-driven culture. Selfies are predominant. Selfishness is predominant. And it's all about self. What can I do with my money? What can I do with my time? What can I do with my stuff? We love to think about everything we have, this vast kingdom of ours, and we love to think about it in terms of ourselves. But as Christians, we need to ask, what's really at the center of our lives? What is the hub from which every aspect of our lives flow? At what is your life pointed? At what is your life oriented? When people look at your life, what do they see as your life pointing towards? For the disciple, for the radical, come what may, all in follower of Jesus Christ, God must be at the center of our lives. Rather than putting God number one, let's make God the very center of our lives. Imagine your life like a wheel. Imagine your life like a wheel and God being at the very hub of this wheel. Let God be at the center of your life. And then every single thing that has importance to you, which flows out of the center, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your job or your passions or your hobbies, all of these things flow from God and God is at the center of all of them. If you imagine God like the center of a wheel, then when the rubber meets the road, when it comes to your family, God will be at the center of your family. It's not God number one and then family, as if you can do whatever you want with your family. No, no, it's God at the center of your family. 
When the rubber meets the road, when it comes to your job, you'll be able to think about it like this. It's not God number one and then family number two and then job number three. No, no, God is at the very center of your job. So whatever your job is, you are a God-centered, whatever that job is, a God-centered surgeon or a God-centered lawyer or a God-centered banker or a God-centered doctor or a God-centered teacher or a God-centered social worker, whatever it might be, God is at the very center of your job. Don't think about it in terms of God is number one, family is number two, job is number three, and then friends are number No, no, no. God is at the very center of your friends. When the rubber meets the road, and when you are putting the, metal, the pedal to the metal and the rubber is burning up on that road of life, it's God at the very center of everything you do. Your hobbies shouldn't be a list farther down, an item on the list farther down in your life. God should be at the very center of your hobbies, at the very center of your passions. God is at the center. He should be at the center. And this way we avoid compartmentalization. If you just say God is number one, and then other things are two, three, four, five, six, seven, then what happens to two through ten? We seek to do them the way we want to do them rather than putting God at the center of all of them. So change the mindset. Let God be at the very center of the wheel of your life, and when the rubber meets the road, God will be at the center of whatever you're doing. When we are God-centered, God has the primacy, not just in our lists, but in everything. But as fallen creatures, we're selfish. We're selfish. Our nature is always to try to give ourselves primacy. We want to be at the center of everything. We always want to be at the center of everything, and when we indulge that sinful nature... When we are self-centered, we become self-oriented. When you're self-centered, you're always going to be self-oriented. If self is at the center, then the orientation of your life is always going to be pointing back to you. This is always, always how it goes. Orientation is very important. Whatever your life is oriented towards, whatever your life is pointing toward, shows people what's very important to you. And if self is at the center, you will be self-oriented. And when people see your life, they will see that it's all pointing back to you because you're at the center. But there's a better way. Christianity teaches us a better way. Christianity shows us a better way. And the better way is this, get out of the way. Get out of the way. It's not about us. It's never been about us. It is not about us. It never will be about us. So get out of the way. If you would just get out of the way and let God be at the center of your life, then when we, as God-centered people, live from him, you know what we become? Other-oriented. The self-centered person is self-oriented. The God-centered person is other-oriented. When we are God-centered, we become other-oriented because God's nature is continuously to give himself away. And giving ourselves to others naturally flows from a life with God at the center. God gives himself away for his glory and for humanity's benefit. We, in turn, because we are self-centered, or we are God-centered, give ourselves, rather, to others, God-centered leads, leads to being other-oriented. When we're transformed by God, when we are rescued from the depths of our own sinful selfishness by God's selflessness, then we turn and share God's selfless love with others, making disciples. 
Jesus explained this is always the order. It always goes God-centered, other-oriented. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, when some teachers of the law were seeking to find Jesus and find fault with him, they asked him a question that was actually pretty common in the first century Jewish world. Rabbis would get asked this question a lot. Rabbi, what is the most important commandment? And how people answered would explain their philosophy of ministry. Some rabbis would answer with a very particular command, or some rabbis would answer with a very general command. But these fellows came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second one is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The greatest one, Jesus says, is to be God-centered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then, because Jesus continually gives himself away, gave these teachers of the law a bonus. He said, and the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. If you are God-centered, you will be other-oriented. The love of our neighbors flows from our love of God. Our orientation toward others is because God is at the very center of everything we are all about. The word for being oriented toward others is generosity. For generosity means giving yourself away. Giving yourself away. Generosity is cheerfully giving away more of your goods and resources than you would need to in order to benefit those around you. God himself is the ultimate example of being generous. Consider God Almighty, the triune master of heaven and earth, and think about how he is generous. When we look at scriptures, we see that the triune God is very, very generous. Let's start with God the Father. God the Father is generous. In John 3.16, we have one of the most famous verses of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God the Father is so generous that he gave us his very own Son. That's how generous he is. He gives himself away. He gives his goods, his resources. The Father gives the Son in fact, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this, God saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. God the Father gave us the Holy Spirit generously, so that we can be saved, not because of anything good that we've done, but because of his perfect mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, and God the Father generously gave him to us. The Father gives the Son. The Father gives the Spirit. Oh, God is generous. But Jesus, God the Son, he's generous as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. King Jesus stepped off the throne of heaven, left the riches at his disposal, and condescended himself by becoming poor on our behalf so that we might be lifted up, 
so that we might become rich spiritually with God. Jesus is generous. He gives his entire life for us. In fact, Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, Jesus Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus gave his very life for us. He stepped down from heaven to live as a man. He entered the creation made in his own image, and he died for us. He was a fragrant offering made on our behalf so that we would be right with the Father. Oh, Jesus, God the Son, he's generous, but so is God the Spirit. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. God is so generous that through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives of himself so that we could live. This is how Adam received life. This is how Job received life. This is how we receive life. And then, of course, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but this Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Oh, the Holy Spirit gives away everything generously, and he gives for us power. We can grow powerful. We can grow powerful in this world. We can grow loving, and we can grow self-disciplined because he gives those things to us. Just as God gives himself away, we too should give ourselves away. God at the center so that we can be other-oriented. Clearly, generosity is important to God. God values my generosity. This is the hinge value. As you see through our discipleship series, here at Glendale Christian Church, we are all about discipleship, and God has revised our mission to become very simple and very compact, to make disciples. Our job is to make disciples. And our vision is to become father-willed, Christ-compelled, spirit-led. For we want the triune God to be at the very center of everything we do. And we want to follow his will and his example and his leading. And so we will be father-willed, Christ-compelled, spirit-led. We're all about discipleship. Making a disciple is making someone who's a radical, all-in, come-what-may follower of Jesus Christ. And the process of discipleship involves three very important aspects. Invitation, transformation, and reduplication. Invitation is how God introduces you to Jesus. And God will introduce you to Jesus either through his very presence, or through his very word, or through his very people. And you can all remember how you first came to know Christ. It was either because someone invited you to church or you read the Bible or God's spirit somehow convicted you so that you felt compelled to go. This is always how God does it. And once we accept the invitation to follow Jesus, the process of transformation begins. Transformation starts with our head, it flows through our heart, and it leads to our hands, head, heart, hands. Because belief or faith involves belief trust, and loving obedience. There's an intellectual component, an emotional component, and a volitional component to faith. And the way that we assess our growth in terms of intellectual belief or head stuff is knowledge. We can grow in knowledge, and knowledge is accessible. If you didn't know a lot, a year later, you could ask, be asked the same questions and you could know more. We can chart growth in terms of knowledge, and so God values our knowledge because it's indicative, in part, of our head, belief, and knowledge. 
But God also values our worship because worship, just like knowledge, can be assessed. You can assess how you worship. You can assess how you worship. If you come to church, if you sing musically, if you worship in every aspect of your life, you can chart the growth of your worship. And that is in many ways demonstrative of how God is affecting your heart, your trust, your emotional component of the faith. So God values my knowledge and God values my worship, but God also values my service because we need to use our hands. There's a volitional component There's an obedience component. And when we use our hands to serve God Almighty, if we're doing so out of love, then we can chart the growth of our obedience, our service. If you used to not serve at all, you could grow in your service. And if you're growing in your service, and you're growing in your service for the right reason, out of love, not out of fear, then you can demonstrate growth in your faith. And so the first three values, God values my knowledge, God values my worship, and God values my service, correspond to the three areas of transformation, head, heart, hands. And then the last three areas of uh, what God values in discipleship correspond to the three contexts in which we demonstrate our transformation. We demonstrate our transformation, first of all, in our smallest unit, our family, And then we expand in a concentric circle outward, and we don't just value the family, and we don't just demonstrate our uh, leadership for our family, then we also demonstrate leadership in the church. And God expands the context of our influence, and as we're being transformed in our head, hearts, and hands, we help those that are closest to us, our family, whether it's our parents, or our children, or our grandparents, or our grandchildren, or our siblings, or those with whom we live, our family is important. God values our family, and we lead them. And then we expand the circle of influence to our church, to our membership. God values our membership. And as we expand our circle of influence, God values our invitation because he wants us to invite people to the kingdom, not just to Glendale. But in order for these three contexts, the global kingdom, the local church, and the immediate family with whom we live, to see the transformation of our head, heart, and hands, we need a hinge. And God valuing our generosity is the hinge value. For generosity is giving yourself away. Generosity is being other-oriented. And God values our generosity because it's our generosity of spirit. It's our disposition to give ourselves away that lets the whole world know it's not about us. Even though God values my knowledge and my worship and my service and my family and my membership and my invitation, because God values my generosity, it's never about me. The only reason I'm involved is because I'm accountable to show God how I'm growing It's not about me at all. It's about you. I have to give myself away to you. It's about others. You need to give yourself away to others. And so remember, the motivation for our generosity, which is the hinge concept between transformation and contexts, is the example of God's perfect generosity. Consider Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We follow his perfect example, and his example should compel us, for we need to be father-willed, Christ-compelled, and spirit-led. And Hebrews 13, 16 tells us, do not give up 
doing good or sharing with others for such sacrifices, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Jesus gave himself up as a sacrifice for us. And when we do good and share with others, we make sacrifices to God. The difference is this. The sacrifice that Jesus gave was his very life, and that makes us right with God. The sacrifice we give is never to be right with God. It's because we are already right with God because of Christ's perfect sacrifice. So when we make the sacrifices of doing good and sharing with others, those sacrifices are not to be right with God Almighty. Those sacrifices are because we are already saved and are already right with him. And so we demonstrate his love by sacrificing some of the things in our life for others, for God's benefit. Because generosity is a sign of a regenerate soul. If we want to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and we want him to regenerate our soul and transform us, generosity is a really good sign of that. Generosity is a sign of a regenerate soul. Christianity needs to encompass every aspect of our lives. It's not just first on the list. It's everything about us. God is not merely at the top of the list of our important things. He's at the very center of our life. He's at the center of our job and the center of our family and the center of our friends and the center of our passions and the center of our hobbies. And as our discipleship intensifies, God's good gospel of grace goes deeper into our souls. And one of the effects of God's gospel going deeper into our souls is that it frees our fingers to loosen their grasp on our goods. Generosity is one of the great evidences of a truly Christian life, for generosity is giving oneself away. Now in our world, we love to pry tightly everything from the fingers of others and hold on to them with our own fingers. We love to hold on to our money and our time and our effort and our energy. In fact, a lot of people think that generosity is all about money, but it's not. Most people automatically think of money when they hear the word generosity, and what we do with our money is a reflection of our generosity, but generosity goes far beyond our finances. Our generosity should include our time, our effort, our energy, and our money. In our society, we love to hold on to our time and we love to hold on to our money. These are the two things that our society values above all. And uh, we saw the list of things not to give your sweetheart on Valentine's Day, and one of them was a push mower. I've got a question for you. Do you value your money so much that you will spend your time to push mow your lawn? Or do you value your time so much that you will spend your money for someone else to do it for you? In our society, that says a lot about a person. Because we either value our money or our time. But time and money are the two most important things. And what God is telling us to do is loosen the grip, the grip on our wallet and loosen our grip on the watch. It's his time. It's his money. Give it back to him. Give it to others for his benefit. In our society, this is radical, and this is countercultural to say, I'm going to give my money and my time and my effort and my energy to others for God's benefit, for God's glory and for their benefit. Oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. But generosity is the act of doing more than what is expected of you. Can it be said that you are generous? If we only do the minimum... If we only do that which we are expected to do, then we do not exhibit the characteristic of generosity. Some want to give God the very bare minimum required and then hold on to as much of their time, effort, energy, and money as they can. But the truth is this. God values our generosity because generosity is the God-centered disposition to be other-oriented. 
and to give ourselves away. It becomes easier and easier to be generous with our time, our effort, our energy, and our money when we recognize that none of it is ours in the first place. I go to a small group at the Copstains, and I was over at their house one time, and it's a beautiful house just around the corner here, and, and I went to their house and was visiting with them, and I said, wow, this is a really great place you guys have, and Dave told me, yeah, this is God's house, and we are so grateful that he lets us have it, we want to use it all for him, so we really want to host a small group. I said, great, that's awesome, I'm going to be in your small group. <laughs> And we go every Sunday, and it's great, and I love it, because they have the right understanding that it's not their house, it's God's house that he lets them use. If that's the mindset that we all can adopt, it's not my house, it's not my life, it's not my money, it's not my car, it's not my time, it's not my effort, it's all God's. And he lets me be a steward of those things, I might use all of those things for his glory and the world's benefit. But if I think about all of them in terms of me, it's my house. I work hard for the, it's mine. Then why would I ever use it for God's glory and others' benefit? I'm self-centered at that point. And I will be self-oriented at that point. May it never be. May it never be. The more we give of our time, effort, energy, and money, the more blessed we'll be. Now, this is actually what Jesus says in the uh, book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35, when he's quoted as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this is another one of those weird upside-down things that Jesus says. You know, the first will be last. The greatest of all will be the servant of all. Christianity does not make sense to the world. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. It's the exact opposite of what the world thinks we ought to do. Yeah, yeah, because the world is self-centered. And Christians are God-centered. The world is self-oriented. And Christians are other-oriented. You're right. It's the exact opposite of what this world thinks we ought to do. You are true. You're exactly true about that. And so the greatest blessing we can have is to give it away. Give it away. Because by giving it away, you will actually receive a blessing that's much more than what you had in the first place. Think about it like this. If you've got a lot of grain, or if you've got a lot of seed, rather, and you see one guy giving it all away to the field, and you're like, what are you doing, man? You're like, you're putting your, your seed in the ground and you're covering it. Uh, you're losing all your stuff. And he says, no, 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 it's worth it, trust me. Because what I'm gonna get because of this is better than the seed. And the guy who holds on to his seed, yeah, when it gets cold later, he says, look at all this seed I have. But the guy who planted his says, look at all my harvest. And he's able to feed that moron who refused to plant. God's word has a lot to say about this. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. It mentions something very similar. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have poured, proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, this passage has four really big principles that I want to share with you. The first is that God's provision should result in works of generosity. Now, God provides. God provides. He takes care of us. And as God takes care of us, that should result in good works of generosity. Last week, we talked about God valuing my service, and God established church leadership to equip his people, the church, for acts of service, for good works of service. Here, God is giving us good works of generosity. And the more he provides, his bountiful provision should result in our good works of generosity. That's how the pattern goes. Tight-fistedness with our time, effort, energy, or money is bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Instead, we should sow generously and we should give cheerfully. This is the second principle. For as you sow generously and you give cheerfully, that will demonstrate where your heart is. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And so this means your heart follows your treasure. And so if you put your money in certain things, that indicates the stuff you think is most important. That indicates your heart. And if you put it into self, that's where your heart is. If you put it into others, that's where your heart is. The third principle is that we should reap a harvest of righteousness, and this is so good. As our righteousness increases, so does our Christ-likeness, because righteousness and Christ-likeness are synonymous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And as we grow in Christ-likeness, we actually grow in righteousness, but we will never grow in righteousness without growing in Christ-likeness. One always follows the other. In fact, one is coextensional with the other, but the order is always set. Christ-likeness precedes righteousness. Righteousness always follows Christ-likeness. You will never be right with God, righteous, unless you're Christ-like. You grow in Christ-likeness, and this produces righteousness. And the harvest of righteousness is what you can reap. And this is abundant life that God has for us. And the last principle is, of course, that generosity brings thanksgiving to God. The more generous we are, the more open doors there will be for people to better receive the gospel. And God wants people to receive the gospel, so let's be generous. Let's be generous with our time, effort, energy, and money. God values my generosity. So what am I going to do? What's the takeaway for today? What's the practical action step? What's the, uh, what's the objective? Here they are. There's three. God values my generosity, so I will give my generosity, invest my generosity, and exemplify my generosity. Now, here's, here's how those differ. The first is to give your generosity. When you give your generosity, you don't even know what happens with it. You've given it. It's there. It's out. So how can you be generous with your money? When you go to lunch today, leave a big old tip. 
You just give it. You don't know what the waiter or waitress is going to do with that money. You just write, God loves you and so do I, and here's a 50. And you give a big old tip. Why would you be generous in this way? Well, because it's cold and snowy and we're Christians and it's Sunday. And waiters, and I know because I used to be one, hate Sundays because the stingiest people come out to eat. May it never be. Just be generous. You get some money, so give it away. Give it away. You don't even know what she's going to do with it. And it doesn't matter what he's going to do with it. You just give it away. How can you be generous uh, with your time? You just give your time away, even if you don't know how it's going to work. How can you be generous with your effort and your energy? You can serve even if you don't know what the result will be. You just give, your, just give it away. Now, this is different from investing. Investing is where you give it away, but with an eye towards spiritual ROI. You want that return on investment. Oh, yeah, you do. You want that good ROI. So here's what you do. You give your money. And when you give your money, if you're not tithing, you start tithing. If you're not giving, you start giving. And then you track all that money. Where's it going? Ooh, it's going to Brooke. All right. Hey, Brooke. Great to see you. Ooh, 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 it's going to these other missionaries. Cool, 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 cool. Oh, it's going to this service. Yeah, it is. And you start, and you get more involved in what's going on because you invest, you want to see the return. And so you give your money and then you get more involved so you can know what's happening with that money. Oh, that's good. That's way good. How can you invest your time? You can teach. You can teach. And you can have, and you can get a little, a class of little kids. Leah would love to have you teach a class of elementary kids. Amy would love to have you teach a class of preschool kids. And then you know what? In 15 years when they graduate, you can see that return on investment because you can see how powerful they are in the Lord. And they will be some of the few that go to college and keep their faith because they've been raised upright. You invest your time. You don't just give it. You invest it. How do you invest your energy? How do you invest your effort? Well, you can serve. You can serve. And one of the ways that you can grow in service is by filling out the service card. You got it last week. Not very many people turned it in. Fill it out. There's a bunch over there at the hub. Fill it out. It'll give you information about different places you could serve, or you could suggest a great place that we might grow in service. And if you don't want to fill it out because you're afraid of COVID, don't worry. We've got a whole bunch of brand new Glendale Christian Church pens. You take the pen, you fill it out, you pocket the pen, take it with you. We got plenty. It'll be awesome. Oh, but if you're still too worried about COVID, get your phone out and go to the church center app and just beep, 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 type it right into your phone. And it will give you this same thing and you just click the one that you think is interesting and we will contact you and give you information about how you can invest your effort and your energy for God's people. How can we make it easier? I can't think of how we can make it easier. But we gotta be involved. How can we invest? Well, think about all the ways we can pour ourselves into God's kingdom. And so give, just give it away, even if you don't know what's going to happen. Invest, you watch what's happening for that return. But then, last is exemplify. I want you to pray hard and work hard about becoming the best example of generosity that you can. I want you to really be able to say, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I want you to become so generous that somebody follows you. Now, I have a really good example of generosity. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, Bob Cook, are the most generous people that I've ever met. Some of you may even remember Bob. He used to be an elder right here at Glendale, and his wife, Dionys, used to play piano here. But then they moved to Springfield, and they took my wife when she was 13 years old with them. Kim used to go to Glendale as a little kid. You guys knew that, right? My wife, has, she was born into Glendale, and now she's back. And it's so cool. 
They give themselves away. They're the kind of people who will do everything. Bob leads in as an elder. Diana plays the piano. They host a small group. He teaches a class. They give away their money. They get, uh, they've given their money to me. They've given their money to church. They give their money to extra missionaries, and they give their time. Bob, he leads a class for Venezuelan refugees. There's a group of Venezuelans who are in Tulsa, and he teaches them about the Bible and about English, and he just gives them his time. It's remarkable. He's this man who gives himself away. He gives away his forgiveness, I know. He gives himself away in every regard. And I want to be like Bob. I want to follow Bob's example as Bob follows the example of Christ. And I want to turn around and I want to be that example. I want to be generous with my time, my effort, my energy, and my money. I want God to be at the center of my life and I want my life to be oriented towards others. Because I'm all in with discipleship. And generosity, it is a good indicator of a regenerate heart. So let's demonstrate to that world how regenerate we are, and let's give ourselves away. I'm going to ask that you stand with me and pray in just a minute. And if you're a visitor here, I want you to fill out, you don't have to fill out the service card unless you want more information about that, but I want you to fill out the connection card. I want you to come introduce yourself to me so that I might know you, Chris might know you, and we might pray with you. And in fact, we want to pray for somebody particular today. Chris's father-in-law, Mark, is in need of some prayer. He's going through some difficult health times, and he's going through some difficult financial times. So as we pray about generosity, we're going to pray that God would generously throw comfort Mark's way. Would you stand with me as we pray?